Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. This is the morning after uh, morning after Monday, December 14th. Today is December 15th. Monday, December 14th is a re- was a remarkable day. It was the final vote of the Electoral College, which to the surprise of nobody except for the hardcore denialists, was won by Joe Biden, uh, 306 electoral votes, which for you trivia nerds out there is actually two more electoral votes than uh, Donald Trump won in his landslide victory four years ago. And it was a day of clarification. So even Vladimir Putin felt it was time to recognize Joe Biden's election as president, which puts Putin somewhat ahead of members of the Republican Party. But the other thing that's clarifying is to get a sense of you know how many Republican representatives and congressmen and senators are still so wrapped up in delusion or fear or whatever that they're willing to continue to pretend that reality is not reality. Uh, also, if you are a subscriber to Bulwark Plus, uh, you got my newsletter this morning. I have some thoughts about Bill Barr. Uh, don't cry for Bill Barr. I thought it was notable. The attorney general left as he entered oozing trails of sycophancy. And I know there's a lot of speculation out there that he might have left early so he could avoid uh, presiding over a bunch of legal horrors that are coming our way. But that suggests that Barr still has sort of a, you know, basic sense of, you know, ethics and limits, which seems like a reach. Um, I think more likely he wanted to quit to avoid being fired by a tweet after uh, suffering weeks of humiliation and insults. So let's talk about the state of the Republican Party the day after Joe Biden is elected president. We still have a number of days until the Congress has to approve all of this. It's going to be an interesting test for members of the House and the Senate and, of course, Vice President Pence. Uh, so we have a really special guest today, somebody who has been watching what's been happening to the Republican Party up close and personal, Congressman Denver Riggleman of Virginia. Uh, thanks for joining us, Congressman. Appreciate it. Charlie, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Okay, so let me give give listeners just a little bit of background for your for your story. Uh, you represent Virginia's fifth district, which is, um, and you can argue with me about this, but it's kind of a bizarrely gerrymandered district that goes from North Carolina all the way to the Washington suburbs. I mean, it's a that map is something. And uh, one of your great political sins, apparently, was uh, that you officiated uh, at a gay wedding for a friend. And Republicans in Virginia, or at least some of the hardcore Republicans, were so offended by this that instead of holding a primary for when you were running for reelection, they held a caucus. Um, and I guess you had to like show up in person and drive through. And you were opposed by a good friend of uh, Jerry Falwell Jr.'s uh, from uh, from Liberty University, and the caucus was was held at uh, this pastor's church, this, this Bob Good's church, right? Is that church? Right, uh, Is yeah, it? church right down the road. It wasn't his church, but okay. <laughs> it was minutes away. So, um, all the uh, moderates in the north of your district wouldn't drive five hour round trip to cast their vote, and uh, there were twenty five hundred total votes cast in a congressional primary slash caucus, which means that Denver Riggleman is going to be a free man next month. And instead, we get this guy. In case you want to know who Bob Good, the incoming congressman from the 5th District, is, you, you might have heard this sound clip when he showed up at uh, at one of those uh, mega crazy rallies on Saturday. This is uh, a congressman-elect Bob Good. And see your faces. This looks like a group of people 
that gets that this is a phony pandemic. It's a serious virus, but it's a virus. It's not a pandemic. It's great to see your faces. You get it. You stand up against tyranny. Okay, Congressman Riggleman, look, I wrote a book a few years ago, How the Right Lost Its Mind, but you've been experiencing this up close and personal. I, this party is experiencing, you use the phrase fever of nonsense. There's a fever of nonsense gripping the conservative movement right now. Yes. And, you know, my floor speech was interesting, Charlie, because they, you know, I have, you know, a comms team and things like that. And they put this outline out and it was great, right? It was thanking everybody. Um, it was talking about some of the legislation I did, Charlie, you know, it was great, you know. Uh, so I added about five more minutes right in the middle. And you probably know which part I added. Uh, they loved it. Um, I don't know if they wanted to tell me they didn't. But <laughs> this <laughs> but this fever of nonsense I've seen before. Um, I wrote a book about it. I you know, I've seen, you know, how belief systems sort of get wrapped, right, and packaged and pushed onto certain people. And it's pushed so much until that they believe it. They have a propensity for these type of bizarre beliefs. Uh, maybe they haven't done enough research, um, you know, or again, maybe they're just pandering. And But I wanted to, to warn people based on my background in intelligence, counterterrorism, algorithmic warfare, um, data analysis through data science or big data, uh, and, and, and really holistic network modeling. Uh, looking at how data tracks across complex systems is what I did, you know, from being in the Air Force Intelligence to the National Security Agency, just trying to warn people that disinformation is a disease and it's a fever of nonsense. And we also need a vaccine against that, too. And there's only three ways to do that, Charlie. Right. There's only it, it's really, you know, facts based analysis based on big data, machine learning you know, and really sort of an encompassing of digital message traffic analysis and to see where this is coming from and where it's rooted in. And, and I have a huge report coming out with the Network Contagion Research Institute on anti-Semitism and how that's sort of the conspiracy theory that rules them all. Uh, we're releasing that today. QAnon is in there. And then um, my job for the next few years, I think, Charlie, is to try to stop this fever of nonsense with facts-based vaccines, you know, blunt force trauma of facts you know, against these grifters, individuals, or true believers that are spreading the sickness. Well, you, you in, in this floor speech, with your farewell speech, you know, you're talking about the, the impact on democracy of, of, of what happens when we don't live in the, the same shared reality. You know, well-instructed people are the, you know, pillars of a working republic. And you said those pillars are now being assaulted by disinformation and outlandish theories surrounding the presidential election. And you implored everyone to consider the sources of information to fact check diligently. So there's a lot of technical explanations for this, but you've met these people. And yes. I wonder how much of it is hardware and how much of it's software, by which I mean, what's going on inside people's heads? How do you counter someone who is not only willing to believe some batshit crazy conspiracy theory, but appears to be completely immune to the fact checking. And, and that's been my experience is that there comes a certain point where they've created this alternative reality silo and you cannot break through with actual true information. Yeah. And that's, um, I've given a couple analogies on this. Uh, the, my favorite one, Charlie was in 1997, 27 years old. I'm a, I'm a state powerlifting champion. I'm at UVA, the air force sent me, sent me through the university of Virginia and my, my, kindergartner or first grade daughter's teacher 
she goes, would you come to field day and do a tug of war against us? I'm like, yeah. I mean, and I got scared because, you know, there's 30 first graders and a teacher. I'm like going to rip their arms off because, you know, I'm such a big man, Charlie, right? I'm mm-hmm. strong. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm good looking. I, you know, I'm like the five foot seven inch Captain America, right, of uh, Mountain Home Air Force Base in Idaho. <laughs> um, so anyway, I go to this field day and, and I'm like, oh, gosh, you know, I got to be careful about these kids. You know, there's. There's 30 of them. By the way, you're probably doing the engineering mathematics in your head right now about what I'm going up against, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. So, um, but I, I didn't think that because, you know, I'm a UVA guy. I'm smart, right? I'm brilliant. There's no way I would, you know, lose to, you know, 2,500 pounds of, of flesh and maybe 100,000 pounds of foot pressure. Who knows? But anyway, I'm making that up, but it's probably close. But so I'm getting on the other end. Charlie almost ripped my arms off. I actually face plant into the grass. And everybody's like, well, oh my God. And I said, I got up. I said, I'm going to do it again. So I wrapped the rope around me. I dug in, spit on my hands, on my palms. I get around that rope. I'm like, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to pull them. I got to use all my strength. It was worse because when I pulled with everything I had, it almost split me in two. I smacked down face first. It was being dragged by first graders and their teacher. Um, I guess the moral of that story is that there's an amazing power to stupid people in large groups, even though the kindergartners are not stupid, obviously. But it's about who you got pulling against you. And do you have people willing to pull with you? And when I talked to these individuals, I honestly, Charlie, what I found out here in Virginia, I had nobody backing me up. You know, I'm, I'm like, this is crazy. Um, started with the same sex wedding, as you know, and mm-hmm. um, that I officiated. And it was then I was called the tool of the Antichrist. Um, I was said that I was working for George Soros. Uh, that I was being paid behind the scenes to convert all children to alternative lifestyles, um, that I was working against the churches to force them out of their religious liberty. Uh, I was called a baby-killing sodomite. Um, my wife was called the spawn of Satan. So, by the way, I've said this before, if I'm the tool of the Antichrist and she's the spawn of Satan, we're the new power couple of Virginia. Definitely. And then, you know, so definitely. But talking to these individuals, Charlie, I can't – I'm trying to use fact-based. I try to be compassionate. But they automatically go personal. And like you said, it's almost like you're just sort of swinging at the air. There's nothing to swing at because they won't even come and engage you on a facts-based conversation. They, they're unwilling to. And I think it's because we're getting in the way of, of their life view they've set for themselves. That They know more than you. They're smarter than you. And they have secret, you know, sort of um, – they have secrets that nobody else can have and attain. And I believe that's why we're looking at some points at a digital cult and digital profits – that are sort of running these people's lives. Okay, so you were elected in this congressional district, so people must have known you. Of course. So when you presided over the same-sex wedding, did yeah. you think that this was going to be a deal-breaker, that this would cost you your congressional seat? You know, I, I, I thought it could, but, but Charlie, you know, again, right, I was going back to that field day in 97, right, that tug-of-war. And what I really thought was that individual liberty, maybe we could bring that back somehow. And you got to remember, I mean, I've been in elected office under two years my entire life. You know, Charlie, my background is not political. Um, So I thought, well, if I use facts-based sort of a baseline, talking about that, first of all, Charlie, I know this is going to surprise you. It's legal. You know, second (laughs) of all, right. I mean, this is crazy, right? The second part is, why do we care how other people live? I mean, how much hate do you have to have in your heart? Right. And, you know, the third thing was, you know, if we're talking about the Republican creed and individual liberty, why are we getting in the way of how other people live or forcing them into a lifestyle? Right. Just I, that's pretty I think it's pretty common sense. It's, you know, not bad. So, how- um, but, but after that, it just became I just got face shot 
for six months. So, so how would you describe yourself ideologically? You're a Republican elected official. What? what I am. How would you describe where you fit into the political spectrum? Sure. I mean, I would say center right um, and maybe almost in the center because I sort of balance things out. I, I thought of myself as a fiscal conservative, but I actually run against I, – I actually ran on a platform of deregulation or trying to get unnecessary government intrusion out of business and people's lives. That was really my baseline. Um, but I also am more socially libertarian, I think, as people are starting to see. And I also always try to look at facts. And so I guess I ran as a center-right, facts-based Republican that was more socially libertarian. And I, and I was clear about that. I did a Washington Post article before I ran that said I, I have no problem with same-sex marriage. I, I, I said, what if I just told the truth all the time, Charlie? You know, that's what I – and I told my wife, I said, well, if I win, or, win in this way, I win. If I lose, that way I lose. And it turned out historically I won and historically I lost. Um, so, and I'm proud of that. So that's that's where it came from. Is there a place for you any longer in this Republican Party? I don't know. I don't. I, in Virginia, it's very difficult for me to have a place here. You know, there's some other Republican parties I think that's possible uh, based on how they run elections. But on this one, Charlie, I'm having a real tough time, especially after what I saw this morning. There's been no condemnation of a gubernatorial candidate here in Virginia who's who said that she agrees with martial law. Uh, I can't get any support in the Republican Party on the same-sex wedding at all. I couldn't really? get any support. No, not here in Virginia. Absolutely not. No. I mean, I just got censured again. I've been yeah, by the I, Appom- I, I, I saw you got censured by was it the Appomattox County Republican Party? They censured you for doing what? Uh, the same-sex wedding, um, which was their number one. Number two is I wasn't supporting the president and his claims against the election. Number three, I said I would keep an open mind. And that uh, we should not decide who we vote for unless hear, until we hear all the issues. And that's why I would not pledge a vote. And since I wouldn't pledge a vote to President Trump, I was pretty much uh, sanctioned or censured for those three things. So you, you mentioned that the, a, a, Republic, a Republican candidate for governor or the Republican candidate for governor endorsed martial law? Uh, one of them, Amanda Chase. One, uh, one of them. Okay, so a, a prominent state Republican. He's a state senator. She's a state senator, and she's endorsed martial law, which presumably means what? The suspension of constitutional rights, military police control of the election process? Yeah, I mean, that... (laughs) (laughs) You made me laugh. I'm sorry. um, I'm I'm trying to keep from laughing, too, because I'm thinking, okay, how do people think this is going to work? Are you really serious about this? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, yeah, I mean, especially, you know, when she wrote that she supported Sidney Powell and, and Mike Flynn. Um, and Mike Flynn's call for martial law and also that we, we need to change the election. Um, so how is this even taken seriously by a party that used to claim, um, you know, that we were the party of ideas, the party of um, freedom, individual liberty, deregulation, uh, letting live and let live? We're not that at all. Not here. Mm-hmm. Um, really, this is a party of sort of authoritarianism. And uh, I've been censured so many times, I should get a T-shirt. I mean, and, you know, it's 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 great. You know, I should frame them, but I don't want to waste money on the paper. I told somebody, Charlie, the other day, they're like, well, does this worry you? I mean, you're getting censured by the party. And I said, you know, I said, uh, I'm worried about, I'm about as worried about this censorship, this censuring 
as I am about missing a Tupperware sale at Walmart. I just don't care. I must be living in their head friend free, Charlie. So I want to go back a little. Well, no, let me let me stay with this. So you, what sure. you're saying is, though, you're getting no support at all from fellow Republicans. And I think this is one of those decisive things that that when the crazy comes up, if Republicans would have stood shoulder to shoulder and said, OK, we're still Republicans, we're still conservatives, you know, we, we may even back the president, but we're not going along with the crack and we're not going along with QAnon. We're not going along with, you know, the, this crazy stuff. There might have been some way to push back. But you're saying that if you do that, you get no support whatsoever. There's no critical mass of sane republicanism, at least in Virginia right now. None. None. I mean, you know, there's 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 outliers, right? There's people say keep fighting um, some former uh, Republican state delegates, you know, have said good job, Denver. I get a lot of private messages um, from like specific, you know, Republicans, I guess what I'm saying, just people are like, this is great. You're changing the party. This is fantastic. Um, but as far as people that are elected right now, uh, in the Republican state Senate, the Republican state senators or House of delegates or from any, you know, and I, let me tell you, I, I really do respect and enjoy my Republican colleagues uh, in the Commonwealth. Uh, but they've been a little bit hesitant to say anything one way or the other. And I think that's because they're worried about the base and, and they're worried about funding actually and fundraising. Well, so, so how much of this is just pure fear? How much of it is ignorance? How much of it is, 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 is fraud? It's people who have figured, Hey, I'm, I'm in on, on the grift. I think it's a poisonous cocktail and, and excuse me, I'm a, I'm a whiskey distiller, so I'll use that. But I think that, <laughs> I think this is a poisonous cocktail of true believers uh, those who pander to true believers, the grifters, uh, and maybe abject ignorance. And uh, but I think when you're seeing most of the elected politicians, they they absolutely understand what QAnon is, or the Kraken, or these conspiracy theories, or Mike Flynn. I think it really comes down to fear, based on the money that President Trump has raised, which you know is significant. Uh, but also, there, I mean, Amanda Chase, she used that for fundraising this morning. She has a fundraising link to please give money to support this cause. So a lot of this is a massive grift. I call it the griftocrats, right? It's the curse of the griftocrats. And the griftocrats are taking over, have taken over our political discourse. So do these people really believe all of this stuff? Um, or, 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 or they just decided that it's so important that our tribe wins and holds on to power and that the other side is so dangerous is so socialistic, hates God, hates America, all this stuff that, that we need to beat them by any means necessary. Do you follow what I'm going here? Do they actually exactly believe, you know, okay, I'm sorry. What do you think? No, no, no. I, I absolutely agree with you. I think what happens is that people do this as a pander or grift and they start to get into that sort of algorithmic targeting for, for echo chamber analysis, right? Uh, but there are some real true believers. I, but if you keep saying it just as a grift or a pander, at what point do you blur the line to where you are a true believer, right, Charlie? There's yeah. no, it's not like, um, you know, you say, well, hey, you know, I, you know you're, you're fundraising for Jesus and saying Jesus lives, but you're actually an atheist. There's really no there's really there's no there's no distract there's no i would say separation there at that point you you've become what you're pretending you say that you said you are that's i've seen that also you know i saw the grift and, and again i hate to go but uh, you know when i wrote bigfoot it's complicated i thought it would be a fun book just about belief systems gone wild you know like that show you know mm -hmm. like just belief systems gone wild here we have, we have a person chasing a unicorn just covered in their own you know excrement um you know something like that but what you have now is that these belief systems have metastasized and actually are starting to really spread a sickness throughout people because saying to, you know, martial law 
and believing in Bigfoot are two bit di- different things. I mean, I would hate for Bigfoot believers to become weaponized, right? But what we're having yeah. is a monetization and weaponization of insanity, and that's what I've been warning against. Well, except if you have Bigfoot who's roaming through your your neighborhood, you know, eating eating pets and small children, then then you <laughs> you might want to weaponize it, right? But that's so exactly just, right. That's for listeners, right. you've actually written a book about Bigfoot. So in terms of disinformation, I mean, you you're, you're kind of like the perfect guy. You're you you're living it, but you're also writing about it. I'm writing about, I've, you know, it was like, you know, that was the book in 2018. Let's talk about disinformation where I got accused of Bigfoot erotica, right, Charlie? And this is the book. And obviously it's not Bigfoot erotica, but that was the Democrats yeah. using Twitter to spread crap, which is disinformation. And so I was also called a pedophile then. I was called oh, a pedophile great. for Bigfoot erotica and called a pedophile for not supporting, you know, the uh, ridiculous conspiracy theories regarded to the election. So I, I've got it from both sides. And by the way, Charlie, somebody's got to make up their mind, right? I've become, I've, become, I've been called a leader of the Zionist organizational government or a leader of the Zog and a Nazi. I can't be both, buddy. That's tough, right? So, you know, that's really what, what's happening right now in politics. Okay, so let, let, let's take a, a circle of Republicans in Virginia. Sure. What percent are we talking about that would think that somebody like you is, you know, a Zionist tool, pedophile, etc.? Are we talking about a majority? Are we talking about just a loud minority? Break it down for me. Uh, when it comes to those really active in the Republican Party in certain portions of the district, say in South, Southwest, things like that, they might not um, automatically attribute to me as a member of the Zog, but I'm certainly a member of the deep state coup, which is a Listen, the blood libel of the Democrats that are blood drinking pedophiles that are also Satan worshipers and planning the overthrow of the government. That is what they think I'm part of. That is actually a baseline of blood libel. And, and they believe so, they believe that that's going on and they think you're part of it. They believe this. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I would say, you know, I would say in, in the real deep start, uh, part sections, and it's really not people who have been in Republican Party long. It's actually some of those are just specifically Trump voters. I'm not talking about, you know, I would say the belief that I'm part of a deep state coup or I'm paid off uh, or that I'm being funded by George Soros has got to be 60 to 70 percent. Seriously, 60 to 70 percent of Republicans in Virginia. I would say those in certain portions. I would say overall in Virginia. 20, 25%. Okay. But sure. they're, con- they're concentrated in certain areas. So let me just back, back up because, you know, one, one of the things as a, as a, as a long time, you know, conservative who supported Republican causes, you know, I get a lot of people who say, well, you know, you built this, you should have seen this coming, you know, how blind must you have been? You know, what do you mean you were surprised or disillusioned or disappointed by these people? They were this, uh, they were always like this. So I just want to get some sense for you, which, which I, my answer is no, I, I didn't see it. And no, I didn't build this. Um, you know, there may have been serious mistakes that I made things that I regret deeply. Um, but this was not what I signed up for. So you are an elected Republican congressman. Um, you, you are part of the Republican party of Virginia. So how, how come you didn't see this? Well, you know, I've, um, <laughs> I, I, I've underestimated badness before yeah. I, I, Charlie, one time when we have longer, I'll tell you about, don't argue with Serbian individuals on the Serbian border about their history. You know, my degree, you know, I, so, you know, dumb, I, you think I would have learned this, right? But uh, I believe, Charlie, I believe, I'm like, listen, you know, I don't have a political background, right? But I do have a really, you know, expansive business background, military intelligence. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, maybe I can be that guy, yeah. right? 
Right. What if I could, right? Where I'm just, um, I, I said spitting facts, but you know, the guy's like, listen, I understand where you're coming from. Let's have a very reasonable conversation. Let's talk on the battlefield of ideas. Let's not personally attack each other. I was personally attacked by Democrats and Republicans immediately on both sides, the fringes. Mm-hmm. I think, I think, I, I think maybe I have a unique ability to instill, instill panic that I'm getting in the way of the grift or the way to make money because of the way that I come across. Listen, Charlie, I only need one hashtag in my next election. You ready for this? You ready? Yeah. I'm not crazy. That's it. That's all I'm going to. I'm not crazy. And sounds but like I a really, radical position to take in certain areas of the country. It's a very radical position to take because you know what happens? I, I lost a friend of over 30 years after a certain article came out where I said a lot of QAnon is based on anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's a fact. It's just yeah. not even a. We, we've done the analysis. We have now analyzed over 230 million messages on anti-Semitic boards, right? And a report we have coming out today. Uh, we did a big data analysis of anti-Semitism and how it's a baseline for many conspiracy theories. I get a text saying, You just called me anti-Semitic and said I was stupid. Uh, we're no longer friends. I've known this person since 1986. Hmm. Um, this happened across the board to me family, friends. Um, I was called a traitor. Um, by so many people, I was also called, I just don't, I won't even say that, but I was called some really, really bad things. So do you want to stay in politics? I mean, are you, you you said your next campaign? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, listening to you thinking, you know, free at last, free at last. I am, I am not, I am glad to be out of the swamp. So, so, you know, a lot of people talk to me about me running for governor as an independent or an independent Republican. It's very difficult to be part of a party that wants to choose conventions, is okay with grift, is okay with corruption, but is really okay with crazy. I'm just not. Charlie, it's not even a it's not even like a big deal for me. Like, I'm not okay with that. No, yeah. martial law, yeah, I'm just it's not I'm not good with it. That's ridiculous. That's actually insane. And and I'm a very blunt speaker. I think that really puts people off sometimes. And I say it with a smile, Charlie. You know, I'm I'm like, hey, you know what? I think let me let me tell you this way. I'll I'll say I'll, I'll put it technically. I think your mental elevator is stuck between floors. I still like you, right? But, you know, so, um, but, you know, I, that's sort of how I come across, I think, to some individuals. And they're like, you called me crazy. That's not right. That's, you're the Antichrist. There's a lot of irony in that statement. So that's the, that's, <laughs> Uh, that's the, sorry. That's the issue. I, I'm trying not to, because I'll go off into jokes and I don't want to make this too light. But the issue is that I don't know if I want to be in politics ever again. And, um, and then I'm like, who do I want to leave this, you know, to these people that are so awful? And was it Plato? I'm, this is going to be the worst paraphrase of all times. What do you say? If you don't get involved with politics, you're doomed to be ruled by your inferiors, mm-hmm. something like that. That's my fear, Charlie, is that we're allowing people to do this. But I, I just don't feel the support to run as a fact-based, I'm not crazy candidate that uh, leans right on concern, on fiscal issues and leans left on social issues based on whatever definition that is. And I hate to be defined, but so, I don't think that's what it is, but that's what, where, we're at, where so I'm at. So welcome to the wilderness, Congressman. Um, yeah. Basically, we're political orphans here, but but that, that is the, the, the way it feels, that, that if you object to the crazy, there's really no place for you, that we are the outliers in the party. Not yes. the, which is like, there's your, there's your sanity check that if you say, I am not with, you know, I am not crazy that, that you're staking out a position sort of on the far edges of excommunication in this, in this party. Okay. So let me ask you something that I'm really worried about because, sure. you know, you, you've talked to these people and there are true believers. The, there are people who believe, who believe right now 
that Donald Trump will get a second term, right? I mean, they still do not know what, you know, what the story is. They think there's a loophole. They think there's something happening. They think there's a plan, right? That, it, that, that on January 20th, that Donald Trump is going to be sworn in again. There are people like that. Yeah. I, and that, <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> you had said something and I, and I was thinking about, gosh, I was thinking about what you said just before. Can I go back really sure, quick absolutely. About, about bravery? Yeah. I'm sorry. And then what, um, you said something about on the edges, right? That we're sort of on the edge of excommunication, right? Um, and I, and I, gosh, I had a question for you and then we got into everything else. And there's two things, you know, that I wanted to say about that. Number one, Charlie, for me, I feel better being willingly tribalist. I don't know about you, hmm. um, but I was willingly tribalist. I said, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. It, it goes against everything that I am. The second thing, Charlie, on the edge of excommunication, and it was a question I had for you and I wanted to get into it. Then we can mm-hmm. keep going. Sure. Um, and I, it was for you. Is that do you win from the outside or the inside? Is there an intel gain loss proposition? In the military, there's something called IGL, intel gain loss. And we'd had to decide do you destroy a target or do you allow it to stay up so you could collect from it in an intelligence way? You know, do you go for the bigger picture by letting something you want to destroy stay stay there? I want to destroy this this in this disinformation. And the biggest problem I've had about whether I leave the Republican Party is do I leave it to the crazies? Um, I hate the two-party system. I think it's broken down. But is it better for me to bomb from the outside or bomb from the inside? Right. Yeah. That is my biggest issue, Charlie. And that's why when you said that, it just it just absolutely just it tripped the wire in my head when you talked about the edges of excommunication. I apologize. but That was a fantastic statement. No. And that's that's where I was. That's the question that I had for you before we got going. So that, we, that's, we, that's we all wrestle with this all the time. And, th- and there's a disagreement even in, in like bulwark land about you know, whether you stay in the Republican Party because you need to have two sane political parties. And as long as you're in inside the room that you can, you know, you, you might be able to salvage it versus people who say, you know what, this is, this is, you know, uh, if, if I, if I stay in this thing, um, I'm going to be toxified at some point and, and it, it, it can't be salvaged. And I, I respect both points of view. I'm, I'm in sort of the burn it down phase right, right now. But I also understand that once you step outside, your ability to influence and your ability to change diminishes radically. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I wanted to be the conservative who would say this is not really conservatism. This is not what the Republican Party is. This is wrong. And over and over and over again, including in your case, that position has been decisively repudiated where the Republican Party is saying, no, we really are this. This is if you want to be a Republican, you have to believe this and this and this. You have to tolerate all of these things. And at a certain point you go, well, if that's the deal, I'm out. Yeah. How do you, and that's what I'm trying to square. That's why when you said that, that's what I'm trying to square, Charlie, is how do I do this? And part of me, as you know, I have 50 acres out here on the Rockfish River, Nelson County, own a distillery, have amazing opportunities. You know, they don't go away from me. I came right out of the Pentagon. Um, My life could be, you know, uh, whiskey, you know, love and, and just exploding and good fortune in business. But am I leaving it How can I say this politely? Um, Am I leaving service after all my years in the military doing this? Am I leaving service to those who should not be serving us? Yeah. And do I just do this out of anger? Do I put my family at risk? Do I continue to have phone calls that say we hope people come and rape your entire family? Um, Phone calls that 
say that, that that I should be destroyed because I'm a member of the Zog or that I'm leading Bibi Netanyahu's pedophile network in the United States, um, right? Uh, do I keep getting sent pictures of the gallows uh, saying this is where I belong and I'm a traitor? And then you know what? I'm like, yeah, keep doing it, you beanbag, basement-dwelling sons of guns, right? Um, I, I, I want this fight. And yeah. so I, this is where I'm at, right? Like, I like a good fight. I was a bouncer. I just wasn't a military. I was a bouncer for years. You want to fight? I'm dirty. I'll grab tables, bottles. We can go at it, right? But, you know, I'm just so sick and tired of people that are fearful, lack courage. And then, I'm, and again, it goes back to how do I fight this? Do I want to fight this? Have I already done my stick, right? Have I done my part, Charlie? I, you know, this is what I think about well, every I, I, I will day. tell you, I think about exactly the same thing. I told somebody the other day when you say, you know, have you done your part? And I say, you know, I have been fighting against uh, Donald Trump longer than people were in World War II. So yeah. I mean, from you know, the, this anti-Trump <laughs> wow. campaign has been has had a duration longer than World War II, at least for the, the Americans. But and they, they have to tell you that that virtually everyone in our small little world is, wrestles with the same thing going, OK, we can't. We're exhausted. We're beaten down. We're not going to win all of this. And that temptation to get in the RV and just head west, the temptation to go off to the lake, to go off to the mountains is so intense. But I think we all ask exactly the same question. Then basically, are we walking away from our country? Are we leaving our country in the hands of these toxic crazies and 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 that is that's tough and i i'm not sure that people on the left really understand how tough a dilemma this is you know they they think that well you just become a democrat you should become a liberal no no that's that's not that's not what what really you know a a a real alternative here i don't think we're just simply not going to abandon everything that we believed but we're going to have to abandon a lot of the alliances and the allegiances that we've had in the past. I think you're probably following me. Our tribe is our tribe, if we want to call it that. And I, I hate to even say that, but I'll say this: the Republican tribe seems to be burning those people at the stake. Yeah, who go against you know this sort of one man rules the world uh, meme, and that's why I'm I'm so disturbed by it. I, I'm not you know I work for seven hundred fifty thousand people. I, I'm. I don't work for president of the United States. And when I say that, people get so angry. Oh my God. Oh, you know, he, you're disloyal. He's president Trump. You know, the big thing I get is president Trump was sent here by God and I reject it out of hand. I just, what I reject kind? it. And then, you know, and that, that really hurts me when I do that. Yeah. This whole idea that, uh, that God sent us Donald Trump, what, what great cosmic joke would that have been? Also, I'm going to be interested to know if, if Joe Biden, when Joe Biden becomes president, um, how they reconcile. So did, did, uh, did God send Joe Biden? Okay. I want to go back to my, my scary question about the people. Sorry, this is a scary question. Yes. Yes. Yeah, go the, ahead. The scary question, if people really believe all this stuff that we've described, if they really believe that the country is being stolen from them, if they really believe that there are blood drinking, um, you know, pedophiles who are about to destroy America and attack God, then in a certain rational, irrational way, then violence becomes a real option, doesn't it? If yes. you believe your country is really under attack, that we don't just disagree on politics, that we are not just people of goodwill who have different attitudes about tax policy, but that the other guy you know, is, is really an enemy, that it is the Chinese who are the Venezuelans who are destroying the country, then under, I mean, if, if you get inside that mentality, you can understand why some of those people might act out in really dangerous and violent ways. Yeah, especially if they believe that. If they believe it. If they believe it, if they're if they're empowered, right? If they if actually they have this blessing, is that not the word? I mean, 
it's a blessing to do what's necessary to save those people around you. And that is the very language and the very essence of radicalization. So, um, and that's, that's what I've been warning people about. Charlie was exactly what you just said. Okay. So your, your congressional term ends when? January, uh, January 2nd, January 3rd. Okay. So you're not going to be there on January 6th. What do you think is going to happen on January 6th with your, with your house colleagues? Will uh, a substantial number of house Republican members of Congress try to overturn the electoral vote on January 6th? Yeah, they already said they were. I know, but how many? How many? Oh, Charlie, put me on, you put me on my analytical game here. Yeah. And by the way, I, I won and lost before I answer this on the 126 that signed on to the mm-hmm. Texas lawsuit. I had somebody said it won't be more than 30. Everybody was around 30. I said 70. And they're like, you're crazy. You're nuts, man. There's no way. And it was 126. So, um, um, so God, just punch. No, this was this was a gut, that was a gut punch, and I was still had I, my estimates were still higher than everybody else, and, and it was too low, so that's why I'm a little worried about this. I'm going to say, I'm going to say between twelve and twenty, we'll do this. Only twelve or twenty. Yeah, as the baseline. I don't know what the vote's going to look like though, and I mean I don't know if it's going to really what how they're going to force this or who they're going to try to force down the line. I think that's going to be the group, sort of the center group. But I, I think, okay, how about this, Charlie? Me and you can, if you think it's more, but I think it's going to be around about, I, I want to say 20 is going to be the number. 20 okay. is the number. 20 is the number. I just wonder whether or not this becomes this loyalty litmus test, that that roll call becomes the one thing, you know, do you, do, do you stand by, do you stand by the ordinary God King or are you a, uh, you know, a, a tool of George Soros? And then you, you know that for some congressmen, whatever they believe in their heart of hearts or in their minds, is that they're, I don't know, the, the, well, you know, that kind I of pressure. That. I'm not going to be surprised by Mo Brooks or Louis Gomer. Right. I'm just that's not surprising. That shouldn't surprise anybody. Um, what, what I'm what I'm interested to see are those who are center right in the caucus. You know, some of the congressmen that came out of Pennsylvania, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Michigan, um, Florida is going to be really interesting. Um, and there's people I know that are on the edge. So if they get really afraid, that number obviously goes up. You know, no no intelligence officer says never say never, right? I, if I told you if I'm like Charlie, I'd be a really I'd be really vastly. I would say, Charlie, it's going to be between 100 and 150. Or, you know that, or it's going to be between 10 and 200, somewhere in there. You know, that's why I'm saying 20. Um, am I saying that it's possible that there's actually a run on this because of fear? Absolutely, there's always a run as possible. And when I say a run, I mean just sort of that virus where people are like, oh my god, I was I was going to vote for the. I'm going to I'm going to have to vote the wrong way here because you know I could lose an election and what's going to happen with fundraising. So here's what you're going to see. You're going to see a bunch of mealy mouth statements come out before the electoral vote. Uh, before January 6th, you're going to see a lot of mealy mouth statements. You know, I still think we need to look at election irregularities, mm-hmm. but I have, you know, the constitution, I'm going to, I'm going to follow the constitution, even though I know the people. So let's do something to change this. So I'm going to start a pack that says change voting in Michigan now, or change voting in Pennsylvania. Now I'm going to start this pack to make sure this never happens again, but I'm going to vote yes on January 6th. I think you know, that's, that's, yeah. I think that's, yeah, that's exactly right. That's what's going to happen. And, no, I, you know, I, I, so does all, I know we have only about five minutes here. The going back, let's 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 turn time back for when you started to have these the crazy conspiracy theories and everything. Part of me thinks that if Republicans had had stood together and stood up quickly 
and pushback, respected voices on the right, because it ta- it's going to take people on the right to push back on this. You know, Chuck Schumer attacking QAnon is not going to make any difference, right? Nancy Pelosi oh. attacking this stuff is not going to change any minds. It's going to take respected conservative Republican voices standing up and saying, okay, this is wrong. Don't do this. If that would have happened one year ago, two years ago, six months ago, whatever, would that have made a substantial difference or was the tsunami just irresistible? The tsunami of, of nonsense and crazy. Not when they did polling in their district. No mm-hmm. way. Charlie, listen, I mean, you, you know, you had to sign up for some of these things like Win Red. You have to be on the side of this or that in order to get funding. Um, like you said, Charlie, I don't think people understand what it's really like, right? They don't get it. No. Right. It's. You know, so for instance, like I had somebody pull me aside. This was even before, this was a year ago when I was starting to get a little shaky on what's happening with the Republican Party. And they pulled me aside and said, Denver, we know that, listen, you're a smart guy. We want to, once you stay in the caucus, you ready for this, Charlie? This is, this is real. Winners make history. Just, just get through this. Yep. Yep. Just get through to the other side and then you can make real change. You're just a freshman congressman right now. Don't come out against anything too hard. Like, but this is insane. Like I'm starting to see, this is when I was looking at QAnon bubbling up, right? And I'm starting to see people retweet this, you know, and I'm not just the president. I'm talking about a lot of people are starting to, we got to come out now. Like, well, it's a a dark corner thing. It's it's a dark corner thing. Just, it'll go away if you ignore it. I've seen radicalization before. Charlie, I told him this. I was like, this isn't going away. And by God, was I prescient. I mean, I I don't, I could have called, if I would have, I'd be like the prophet of, of crazy right now. Right. You know, it, it. I was on track and, and by that's why I did the, you know, the bipartisan QAnon resolution with Tom Malinowski mm-hmm. and I got eviscerated for that. I know you saw, I got absolutely I just crushed on doing something that was factual. So that's, that's why I think, I don't think you, they couldn't have gone out of line because they would have been crushed by the fundraising prowess, right. And the people that have, that have bought into some of this narrative from the president. Well, Denver Riggleman, Congressman Denver Riggleman, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. This has really been uh, this has really been extraordinary. I've really enjoyed this. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I did too, Charlie, and keep up the you know great work. You know, hopefully, what you are doing, hopefully that facts went over fiction. I, I really believe it can, but I'm I got to tell you, I I never said I was scared of anything. Really, um, I mean, anybody who's not scared of things is stupid. But I'm talking about in politics. But I'll tell you this: this is I feel anxiety like almost a fight or flight all the time about how do I actually do yeah. this? And, and, it, and it is a fear. And, but also that's, that's why you have courage, right? You just keep rolling and, and just keep rolling, Charlie. Well, thank you for all that you have done. And thank you all for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back tomorrow and we will do this all over again.